Welcome and thank you for tuning into Crossroads Church Aspen and our teaching ministry. We are thrilled that you desire to learn more about God and His Word. We also want to encourage you not to make this a substitute for belonging to a local church in your area. We were made for community and to be relationally connected to each other in the body of Christ. Remember, isolation kills, but community builds. We hope this message blesses you and draws you deeper into the community of Christ Church. All right, we're diving in. If you are just joining us, we started last week the book of Jonah. It's this little uh, minor prophet, probably the most uh, known minor prophet of the 12 minor prophets in the Old Testament. Encourage you to read. It's four chapters long. We're going to be in this for several weeks. So just encouraging everyone to bring your Bible, bring your journal if you can, and, and also just spend some time in the Word uh, going through this, this book as the Lord speaks to us um, through this series. Just a little background. I'm going to be just reading verses 1 through 10, chapter 1 this morning. But uh, uh, Jonah, he uh, operated about the 8th century BC um, with Israel. Uh, and he was, at that time, God called, gave him a word as one of the prophets of the Lord to go and bring a message to Nineveh. Nineveh, the ruins of Nineveh still exist today. They're um, just across the Tigris River. You hear of Mosul, if you've been reading the news, Mosul in Iraq. Uh, Nineveh is just over the Tigris River, not far from there. The ruins are still there in modern-day Iraq today. So that's roughly the geography of the whole thing. But Jonah, the Ninevites were some really historically uh, evil folks. They're Syrians, and they've had a long history of Babylon, Syria, and everything bad in there. But they were notorious in history for being a very brutal people. Uh, and they were the arch enemies of Israel. And Jonah, the last thing he wanted to hear was to go and bring a message of, of repentance to the Ninevites because he knew, as we're going to dive in and see, that God is a gracious, loving God. And in, 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 in Jonah's mind, he could not fathom the reality that maybe of all of his and all of the prophets speaking into Israel and Israel, God's people, continuing year, decade, millennia, not repenting, not turning back to God, but continuing to, to not do that, Jonah could not fathom that he brings this message to Nineveh. And what if they turned? What if they repented? Is, uh, in Jonah's heart, he, his grace, his idea of God's love wasn't that, wasn't that vast. Uh, what is unique, this is the only place we see a prophet in the Old Testament where God brings his word and the prophet runs. As soon as he hears the word, he runs from the presence of God. This is unique in all of that. And that's why we're looking at this powerful little book uh, of Jonah. I'm going to pick up this uh, uh, book, if you have your Bibles, starting in verse 1 this morning. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. For their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And he went down to Joppa and he found a boat going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and he went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea. So the ship threatened to break up. And then the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. And so the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, get up. Uh, <clears throat> call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. 
And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know of whose account this evil has come upon us. And so they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And then they said to him, Tell us, on whose account this evil has come upon us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I'm a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and dry land. And then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them the word of the Lord. Um, this morning, I want us to talk about running from God. If you missed last week, we kind of kicked this series off, and last week we gave an overview of the book of Jonah and just some of the major themes throughout this book that we're going to be diving into. And so I just encourage you to go back and listen to that if you get a chance. If you want some of that foundation, some of that background, we're just this morning diving right in to this idea of running from God that is a theme in this. And not just running, but running from the presence of God. We see it over and over in this book. <clears throat> How many of you, um, when you were little, ran away from home? Anybody run away from home or try to run away from home? Wow, you're interesting group here. The first service was like almost the whole congregation did. Uh, <clears throat> even Marion Melville raised her hands. I mean, I was like, what? I thought you were perfect. Unbelievable. We got to hear that story. I don't know. Maybe you know, Katie, her story, but I got to hear that. You know, that was, yeah, wow. Um, I think I was about seven or eight years old, and I don't know what the argument was, but man, me and my dad just got into it. You know, those, I Somewhere in there is when, you know, you chemicals start changing, you start growing, and you start thinking you know better than anybody else, and it's when that independence starts rising up right inside us. And uh, we were arguing, and, and it just kind of was blow for blow, and, and, and I threw down the gauntlet. I don't know where it came from, but that does it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to run away from home then. And my dad, in his great wisdom, looked at me and says, go for it. Go. Well, let's just uh, test you on that. And so that just fired me up even more. And, and uh, so I went stomping out of the backyard where the argument was. I think it was over raking leaves or I don't know what it was. Something I, it's silly. But um, I stomped through the house, through the kitchen where mom was. And she's like, what's going on? And I was made in a row of slamming doors. And, and she's like, what's happening? I'm running away from home, never coming back. And dad, rah, 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 you know, boom, out the front door. And <clears throat> I cruised. We had a big kind of a hill uh, a field behind our house and I went stomping through screaming who knows what <clears throat> got to the top of that hill <clears throat> and turned around I can kind of see our house below in the neighborhood and, and I stood there and when I turned around and looked at our house I, I, it just kind of hit me I mean vivid memory here I have of this I turned around and I says oh, oh, uh, what am I going to do now <laughs> I didn't really think about that um, I sat down, and, you know, my mind's going, well, I'll show them, I'll go here, there, I'll do something, and then finally I was like, well, I'm kind of running out of options here. Maybe I'll just sneak in back in the house and lock myself in my room, and that'll show them, right? Uh, um, and who knows how long I was there, I, I can't remember, but I do remember that, you know, of course, my dad, in his wisdom, he's like, ah, you know, I find out after the fact he and mom were, you know, oh, mom's like, you got to go get him, who knows what he'll do, you know, and he's like, ah, don't leave him, this is be good for him, and um of course, I'm, 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 I'm finally, when I kind of put my tail between my legs and I start to try to figure out a plan, how do I get in when you maintain some sense of, you know, uh, something. Uh, <clears throat> Mom, of course, is running out the field, right, to, to, to get me, you know, to rescue me as such, right? <clears throat> it's one thing 
to not have a plan when you're seven or eight years old, when you run away. It's another thing when you're 36 or 56, right, to not have a plan when we run away. You know, it's built into all of us, running from God, running from the presence of God. It's built into our very fibers. We're going to see it's part of the curses. It goes all the way back to Genesis that we're built to run from God. It's our tendency is to run from His presence more than we'd ever realize. And sometimes it's not even just a blatant running. It's a subtle attitude. We've lopped off parts of our life that, God, you're not going there. As we talked about last week, right? Sometimes we, we put this spiritual do not disturb sign around our neck is, God, I'm not available. I'm living my life here. All, all is well. I was uh, last week in town, <clears throat> sometimes I'll just go in to read and you get some lunch and study and stuff and just kind of be available for a conversation. And I got early, it was breakfast actually, I think it was, um, and this young guy I'd never seen before, he was serving me. And uh, we just started talking, find out at his life and he's here living life and all this. And, and after a while, he, he asked me, he said, well, hey, what are you reading? And, uh, and it was a commentary on Jonah and I told him, I says, I'm reading a book about running from God. And uh, it kind of stopped in his tracks. And then it was interesting. He, uh, that, that comment just flew by him, and he quickly went on to just tell me everything in his life, how great life was, and that he's living the dream. Matter of fact, he went into vivid detail about the night before. He was hung over then, and he said he was recovering for the next round. And, uh, and he said, life is phenomenal. I'm living the dream, parties every night, beautiful girls. I mean, he got actually quite graphic in, in his uh, description of skiing and life in Aspen. Um, and we, we just kept engaging. And, and I just thought after that, I thought, wow, you know, Lord, maybe a seed. But, but the reality is, right, we've all gotten to a place like that, right, where we can kind of put a, it's, it's a hidden sign, but it's a hidden uh, over our heart. Do not disturb because... You know what, God? I, I'm living the dream. I'm living life. I, I'm, I'm in Aspen. I'm wherever. And you know, do not disturb me because life is good. And I, and I don't want the God conversation right at all. And folks, we live more and more in a culture where the God conversation is a threat. And it's, don't, let's just not go there, right? With, with a lot of people, at least in our uh, culture uh, here in the West. My hope and prayer is that, boy, maybe he'll remember. It's just a little seed, right? Or I'll see him again and check on and see if he's still living the dream um, and what we mean by that. But here's the deal, folks. If I ever get to the place where I say I'm living the dream in this world, I'm in big trouble. I'm in big trouble. I've sold out my soul to something that will never satisfy. It will only take away from me and leave me at some point extremely empty, extremely... Um, wanting, right, for more. Um, I think it was Lewis that said, right, it's, it's, it, if we try to find the dream, to live the dream here in this life, it is an ever-increasing desire for ever-decreasing satisfaction. In fact, that's what addiction is. It's this craving, a greater, greater craving for something that can never actually, right, satisfy. And the beauty is the gospel is just the opposite. The gospel, and when we seek God's presence in His way, it's actually an ever-increasing desire for, and that comes with it is an ever-increasing satisfaction of the abundant life, right, of what God has for us, right? And so what I want to do this morning is just give... As we, we saw a little, we'll break some of Jonah apart here, but I have four things, I think it's four things. Um, just, I hope you'll take these, and as you read in Jonah, and we talk about this idea of running from God, 
I just have four things and some verses to give us to think about this week and for us to just dive in. And Lord, what? Show me, God, in in my own life where there's running. Lord, where I need to, to come home. Again, there's such intimate ties with this book and the New Testament parable that Jesus told of the prodigal son. That's what the prodigal son did, except he went a step further. said, Dad, give me some money. Give me my inheritance. And now I'm going to blow out and go and live in, in the dream out there until it was all gone. And he was what? He was stuck in pigsty until he came to repentance, until he turned back to the Father. But that's the amazing thing of the gospel is the love of God. He's waiting. He's ready. It's why he sent his son to rescue us, to bring us wanderers, right? To bring us runners, to bring us who fleeing from God, who've tried to uh, make sense of life on our own, back to him, whose arms are open to cover us up, right? And to bring forgiveness and his grace. And so the first one of these is we were all born to run. We were born to run. Bruce Springsteen had a little bit of healthy theology. Um, and for some of us millennials and younger people, Bruce Springsteen was a famous rock star, by the way. Just a little, <laughs> just a little uh, update, right? We were born to run. It goes all the way back, folks, to Genesis, right? In the very beginning, right, there is no new lie. The enemy gets us at the same point with Adam and Eve. What was the original sin? The original temptation was simply God is holding out on you. Come on, you need to go. You need to take charge of your life. You need to take control because if you follow God, if you let his agenda right run, if you, if you keep trusting him, right, he's going to hold out on you. He's going to make life boring. He's, he's going to take all the fun. He's going to take the party out of it. Come on. You too can go and live life, right? The, ev- out of every single wandering, every bit of all of our running, behind it is the same lie that says... I can make life, I can find satisfaction in life away from your word, God, away from your presence. I know better for my life. I know better for romance. I know better for my job and for discussion. Whatever it is, there's behind every single running from God, every single lie ultimately is this temptation to say, God, I think there's a better way. I think there's more fulfillment. I think there's a happier way Right? To, and I'm going to go explore that. I'm going to go find that. I'm going to go find that. And so behind every bit of this, this temptation, and, and even for religious, even for people who we think or have held up, even for prophets of God. See, for Jonah, the lie was even deep. It was down to his faith. It was down to this, this lie of, wait a minute, God, is your grace that big enough? There's no way. That was pushing him well beyond the boundaries of his comfort zone, of his understanding of God's love and his mission. No, Lord, I, 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 and, and what did Jonah do? Jonah took the same lie. I can do this better. I'm not going to accept that call. I'm going to now take the reins in on my life and on this call, and I'm going to head to Tarshish. And that leads us to, or leads us to the, next, uh, the next principle here is our hearts. They harden or they soften towards God's presence through storms. Storms here being any trial, any suffering. Right? There's, no, there's no gray territory when it comes to um, the storms of life. It's, it's either in the midst of that suffering, our hearts are either going to harden, right? we're going to take hold more of our life, more of our, our direction, or we're going to soften. And we're going to give and have a more open-handed, like we're going to learn for God to come and take control. We're not going to 
just kind of live this very bifurcated, this very double-minded life that says, Lord, I come, I want to come to church. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to do all these things. But, you know, I, I still kind of like my life the way it is. Remember last week we talked about one of the big, deep themes here we have to wrestle with that Jonah kind of raises up for us is this idea that, hey, I, God, I want to follow you, Jesus. I want to I live the life, but I, I, but I, I don't want it to affect my life too much. I want to still keep my life over here because I like this. I just, God, will you just bless my agenda? Will you just bless my work? God, will you just bless my romance? Will you just bless my finances, God? But, but really, I, I'm, I, I kind of, I'm living the dream over here, God. I've got this great plan for my life. I've got it all laid out. I've got it real clear, and I just need you to bless that. Right? You know, that's actually running from God. Even when we're, we're religious, we're, we're trying to be spiritual and say, and follow God, I'm doing all the right things in the Word and in church and Bible study, everything. But the reality is there's large segments of our life that we're just asking God to bless, but we have not had God come and, and speak to us. And we weren't willing to really, really say, God, what do you have? Am I open to your, your call in my life? Verse 4, does this bother anybody? says, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest. That mess with anybody's theology or idea of God? The Lord threw a mighty destructive storm upon Jonah and upon everybody else on that ship. So many principles here. One, though, is when I run from God, when I go the other way, and we can go all the way back to Adam and Eve, it doesn't just this idea that, hey, I, I'm going to run my life. I'm going to make decisions and that my decisions don't affect everybody else around me. Right, this is lost in our very, very, you know, our culture today of entitlement and everything else is the idea of responsibility. It's like, wait a minute. Our decisions impact everybody around us more than we'd ever realize. They affect our family, sometimes for generations. And for Jonah, his decision has a whole group of, of mariners, a whole group of, of uh, professional uh, guys um, from the sea who are in the midst of, these are professional seagoing guys, and they're in the midst of something they think they're about to die. And they knew these were pagans. They were more in tune with God and God's in their view. The amazing thing is we're going to see this, folks, is even this storm that comes at the loving, disciplining hand of God on Jonah, even God uses that to bring all these sailors came to faith in the one true God. They laid their altars down and they saw the mighty hand of the real God of the land and sea. And we see at the end of this, they were worshiping him. So even in the midst of bad circumstances, we see from Romans 8 and other places, God's at work. He is at work in amazing ways. But we cannot forget that our actions, our running from God, impacts everybody around us, especially, right, those closest to us. But does this bother anybody? You have room in your, in your theology, in your, the, the greatness of how you see God? Do you have room in your idea of His love, His grace, His mercy? Do you have room for the disciplined hand of God, Hebrews 12? Do you have room for God's love of coming after us when we wander and sometimes throwing storm after storm in our lives to what? To hopefully wake us up so that our hearts don't harden. So what? With just that we'll, like the prodigal, turn in repentance back to him. Hebrews 12 says, a father cannot be a loving father who does not discipline his children. 
Again, that's a lie in our culture to say that that's not. Without the discipline, there is no love. There's just license, right? That leads to more bondage, right? And destructive things. We hear a lot in our culture today, right? We hear theology is, oh, storms, storms are all of the enemy. You know, that's all, that's all what you, the devil does today. Oh, really? And so, folks, we have to have such wisdom and maturity when it comes to, before we say anything about something around us, a circumstance in life, a natural disaster, a storm or something, we have to have such wisdom before we speak. How do we know? When we hear it all the time, somebody says, oh, well, that storm or that, that's the hand of God's judgment. How do you know? You've just stood into the place of God when you've made a statement like that. Or we say, in, hell, that must be the devil at work there. How do you know? How do you know that's not the disciplined hand of loving God? And so I, I just say we have to get some humility on this and step back. And, and any time we enter into the, uh, to a storm, a trial life, as a follower of God, the first thing we do, right, is not, we, don't, we need to learn from Jonah, is not keep fighting. The first thing we should do is when something happens in our life is we come before God. Lord, is this trial, is this trial a, a cause because of something I've done? Do I need to get right with you in some area of my life? If we do not develop that, and then from there, James 5 says it real clear, right? If verse set common, and they're always confession, always getting a right with God to make sure that there isn't, right, something in the way of our healing or moving forward, right, with clarity in God and, and in life. And then from there, we can broaden the discussion of, of what God is doing here. Lord, why is this happening in my life? And, and we learn to walk with God and hear His ways. But if we do not develop this heart of at the beginning, which is as a child to a parent, Lord, is this, what do I need to learn from this? Is there something I need to correct? Lord, is this circumstance in my life a result of my running, of my running? And as we see here, it was pretty clear, right? That even it became very evident to everyone that the result of this storm and the result of everybody about to die in this storm was Jonah's running from God. And even in the midst of that, we'll see that Jonah just keeps bucking Right at this, he keeps he keeps uh, his heart hard. Right against God, it's amazing um, to see. But again, we learn from that, and we have to look and we have to say, "Wow, you know what? I, I, I've done the same thing. Even in the midst of of life's tough stuff, I, I I've remained hard against God, and 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 still on my course. No, Lord, just bless my agenda. I'm going to go my route. I'm going to go my route. In light of His clear word, and in light of what He has for us in, in those things." And so here's the thing with this. I think we have to think about is again, we see in the scripture, God is a loving God. And, and the reality is sometimes we have to get right to the bottom. Right? And, and we, as we read through this story, we know, look what God has done over this, this journey. I'll just take us through a quick journey here is, is we, we know that uh, it became evident Jonah was the cause and so they threw him overboard reluctantly. Fish eats him up, and he's there, and, in the, and he talks about in chapter 2 of being going to the depths, and he's just describing the place of, of being away from God. He's, he's describing getting close to hitting bottom. But you know what? This is not even bottom for Jonah. This is what's crazy about this book. It leaves us in this incredible tension of what is he going to do? He takes him, and, and he repents. He repents for his running from God in this place of almost bottom, and, uh, and then God, what, spits him out. 
And then God comes back immediately with his original call in his life that he was disobedient to. Remember, there's a principle here. If I run from God, I need to track back and make sure God where, what was that point of disobedience? What was the point where I ran from you? Because we've got to always get back to that place to get that right before we move forward. And he comes back, carry on the call, go to Nineveh. And so he does, reluctantly though, as we'll see later, goes to Nineveh and he goes through the town. 40 days, Nineveh will be destroyed because its evil has come up before God. We'll, we'll deal with that in a couple weeks. And uh, the whole place repents from the king on down. It's one of the most amazing revivals in all of scripture that we've ever seen. And unfortunately, that gets over. People get all hung up because we're intellectual Westerners. We get all hung up with, hey, wait, how could the dude get eaten by a whale or a big fish? How could he live three days in there? How can it spit him up? And, and we get distracted with our intellect, and we miss what God wants to do. Um, by the way, Jesus, and, and we talked about this a little bit last week, but in <clears throat> Matthew 12, he speaks of Jonah. He upholds the historical account, and he speaks clearly of the historical reality of Jonah going in a fish three days, being spit out, as a picture of his own death and in, in burial in three days. Right? It's really funny. Last little side note here. I'm on, on a little tangent, but um, <clears throat> I got home last Sunday, and somebody sent me an article from Spain where they, a fisherman had fallen off a boat and a fish actually ate him. And it was a real story, like a recent within the month story of somebody being and spit out and he lived and he blew up his pants as a life jacket. It was a crazy story. And, um, and I can guarantee, and, and it said, this is Jonah-like, this is crazy, you know. But then it starts going over all the historical stories of people getting eaten by fish actually and living. So Anyway, side note for all of you who are intellectually hung up here, don't get hung up. Because if I get hung up with this on the, the re, okay, tell me something. What about a man rising from the dead? Right? So we're, we're, we're so limited, folks, as Westerners. We, we, we have so much pride in our intellect, our intelligence. We miss the supernatural. We miss the supernatural. We miss God. And if you miss the supernatural, you can't have God. So Jonah, he almost hits rock bottom. God spits him out. He goes back, and this amazing revival happens. And, and what's amazing is all that miracle, all that stuff, all that grace shown Jonah. We find Jonah sitting up on a hill, looking over the city, waiting for God to just, like, bring down fire and brimstone. He's still at odds with God. He's still not repentant at the deepest place. He still hasn't hit rock bottom. And then the story goes on and God built, you know, has this, you know, the weather's hot and wind and everything and God creates this, this incredible plant that he gets rejoicing in. God takes it away. And, God, and Jonah's complaining to God. We find him whining and complaining about God's graciousness to him. And, and he's still not to bottom. He's still not to the place that God wants, right, to really bring breakthrough in his heart. And it leaves, the story ends. We don't know whatever, how Jonah ever responded. We don't know if Jonah ever actually repented and, and, or if he remained the running prophet away from the presence of God. And God, is, it's beautiful as we get there. God's beautiful, intimate language as he comes in to talk to, to, um, to Jonah. But, but Jonah stays hard. And so, folks, look at the miracles, supernatural miracles, the grace and love of God over and over again. And Jonah was still running from God in his heart. 
And folks, in our own lives, we have to really look at that and look in our life circumstances when the trials and storms hit. How much do we thank God for the, the things he's done? And what is the state of our heart on that? Or do we remain in that hard place? And do we really let God in to those places that he wants to come in, which is everything, right? To our agenda and to the depth of our heart. And this is the thing. is a storm. It is going to either soften us or harden us. But here's the principle, gang. Let's go a little deeper on this is that if I do not respond to the storm and then turn to God in the midst of the trial and lean into Him, if I harden my heart to get breakthrough, the next storm has to be bigger. And if I don't soften my heart and repent and turn back to God, my heart gets harder. And somewhere along this line is that my heart gets to a place where the level of storm has to be so big or I just completely live in that place of God. I'm living in a do not disturb spiritual reality away from the presence of God, right? And God is a loving God. And He will. He's the hound of heaven. He pursues us with His love. But at some point, we can put up a wall in our lives. And, um, and God leaves us leads us to what we want. Right? Next one. No one ever truly gets to Tarshish. You can never really get there. Psalm 139, David says to Bells, where, where would I run from you, God? Where would I go? Can I go to the highest of heaven, to the lowest of Sheol? Where, where would I go that you're not going to know? And, and then he goes even deeper. And not only that, but Lord, well, what part of my soul, what part of my thinking, what part of my life and thoughts and everything are hidden from you? It, nothing is hidden from you, God. And so this idea that I can run from God and that I can create some kind of utopia where God's presence is not, that's what Tarshish is all about. Tarshish is the epitome of the utopia that man can build, man can control, man can his own agenda, agenda, man can do whatever he wants. It's the best of the best of what the world has to offer and create. And we can live there undisturbed by God and the deeper issues of life. That's Tarshish. No one ever reaches there. No one can reach there. But we think we can, right? There again is the lie God's holding out on you. You need to go your own way. You need to do it your way and not God's way and, and just r flee towards Tarshish. And again, historically, we talked about last week, most likely Tarshish was some famous port in Spain, the farthest across the ocean that you could get. And it was known for its wealth, its trade, its all these kind of things. But it, it epitomizes, right, in the scripture, this faraway adventurous place where I escape from the world and primarily from God. Folks, that's the theme, right, this runs through our culture like crazy today, is one of escape. It's trying to get away from when the world gets tough, when times get tough, and the responsibilities are too heavy, and, and I just, you just want to run, or get away from any kind of commitment, any kind of responsibility. I just want to escape and, and go to that place, right, where, where I can just get away from all that stuff. And really down below, folks, that is fleeing to Tarshish. That's running from God, ultimately. And we talk about this, whether it's the whole gap year discussion type thing, or again, there's nothing wrong with the gap year, but the question is, what are you trying to find? What's the point? We talk about adventure travel now. Everybody's in to go for wild adventures. Nothing wrong with any of that, but the question is, what's below that? Well, what's driving me? Is there a purpose 
in all that? Or is it really just trying to find Tarshish? Trying to find fulfillment in the world, trying to find that place where, you know what, I just need to get out. I need to get away from my commitments. I need to get away from responsibility. We got more and more people bailing out of family, bailing out of responsibility, going towards Tarshish, thinking that somehow, somehow they're going to find a place away from God and away from all his deep questions in life. Folks, many people show up right here. They show up right here. One of the reasons why we have the highest suicide rates per capita in the U.S. is just that. Ultimately, Tarshish will lead to addiction and destruction in people's lives and a hardness that, that, that is hard to ever recover from, right? So in our running, folks, we just have to really ask what and just think about it in our lives. Boy. Lord, is my agenda open to you? Is, is, is my life, my vocation, and all that my calling in life? Uh, we talk a lot about just intimate relationship, right? Which is true. That's the, one of the blessings of Christianity is this, is this intimate relationship. God wants to talk to us. He wants a relationship with us. But the problem in our culture today with very fluffy devotionals, very fluffy, superficial relational tools that Christians have today is it presents this kind of Jesus is my friend. I'm going to sit around and have some nice tea and I'm going to have a really just a, a nice quiet time. Man, I had a great time with God. The problem with all that, folks, it misses the main point is that the primary thing that God wants to engage us with is calling. He wants us on His agenda. He wants us on His purpose. He wants us to come and be a part of what He's doing. And let me tell you, that's never safe. It's never safe. It requires a step of faith and radical trust in the living God to know that it's better. And it's what you were created for. But we play these little games of creating a nice little place for my nice little quiet time. And oh, I have this nice little conversation with God. And sometimes I'm running from God in that because I haven't really laid down before Him my agenda. God, what are you calling me to? Is my vocation, is the city I live in, is what I do. And by the way, vocation comes from the Latin word that means calling. It means calling. It's not just what job I'm getting, because the job I do is not so important. Is why am I doing that job? And did God lead me into that? And am I willing to lay that out on the table? Lord, how can I join you in what you're doing? That's what it is when Jesus says, deny yourself, pick up your cross. In other words, pick up your cross and follow me. He means you individually, me individually. God has a call on us. And that call is not for God to come bless my agenda. It's not called for me to come bless my little prayer list and what I want to do. It's for me in his presence to be overwhelmed with the glory, the majesty, the grace, the love of an almighty God who holds it all together. And he actually gives me, gives you the privilege to come and be a part of what he's doing. Everything else is running from God. Does that make sense, gang? That's deep water. Right? To really wrestle with, wow, Lord, have I, you know, how, how have things gone in that? Is my time with God just, and we wonder why we never hear the powerful voice of God in our life. It's because I'm spending all my time, God, will you bless this? Just bless my work, bless my finances, bless this, bless my romance, bless this. When, when are we ever saying, God, what do you want to do? I'm available to you today, God. To follow Jesus is to take up his cause in the world. It is not to have this little gumball theology of put the nickel in, crank it out, God bless. Boy, that's this area of my life. It's a whole nother journey. 
This is why we said last week, man, Jonah, he just takes us to this place where I have to wrestle with, I can't, I can't follow God and just, but don't, don't mess my life up, God. Come on, this is all, this is living the dream over here. I got this plan. It's not following God. That's running from God. And the reality is he's not going to threaten. He's got the best for us. We're missing out. And Jesus says, if you try to, it was Matthew 16, he says, if you try to save your life, you're going to, you lose it. So if all we try to do is, here's, like, here's, my, here's my plans, here's my agenda, I'm losing life as I go towards Tarshish. But if I come to him and he says, but he who loses his life for my sake, he what? He finds it, man. Finds it. That's where the adventure is. That's where the real life is. That's where the satisfaction But it is not safe, folks. Right? Mm. It requires a step of faith. It requires radical trust in God. And let me tell you, that's where life really kicks into abundance. Right? Last one. Folks, this is it. God's presence is the destination. God's presence is the destination. That's what it's all about. Not fleeing from his presence. It is about his presence. And all the way back to the beginning, the whole point of all this is God wants you in his presence. He wants you to experience his glory, his endless, indescribable presence. He wants you in his presence. And he's done everything, sending his son to wipe out, to make us right, which we could never do through religion or steps or ritual. He did it once and for all, tearing the curtain, making the way into the holy of holies perfectly okay for us. He provided it all for us. He wants you in his presence. And folks, look at all the verses, and I just, I plead with you. I'll give you a couple of my favorites, but find the presence first. Because here's the reality, folks. I want us to, if, if you miss everything else, please hone in right here, okay, is we are not a presence people today. We're not a presence people. Why is, why is Hebrews 10, here's one verse. Go see Hebrews 10, verses 19 through 25. Why does he say, do not forsake gathering together? Why? It's because it's about his presence, his anointing, his presence is there when his church gathers together to encourage and love each other and worship him. His presence is among us in a special way. But we have in America, we got this individualistic thing. I can go when I want to. It's not important. And man, I'm just showing up and it's about what church can do for me. Was the message any good this morning? Was the song, Derek, you're a little bit out of tune or something? Ah, you know, coffee. We didn't have donuts this morning. I'm surprised anybody stayed actually. Amazing, the kids, we almost had an uproar downstairs, no donut holes, you know, and I was a little upset too, but anyway, there's all another. <laughs> it's about presence, folks, because God wants to meet with you, and that's not just you and him alone. It's primarily you with his family. It's about presence. Man, we're not a presence people. I ask you to think about how much do you think, how much of your motivation is to, because you want to be in the presence of God. That's what he wants from each of us. But we spend most of our lives running more than we'd ever, ever realized. Psalm 1611 was my favorite, right? Oh, you, Lord, you know the path of life. Man, in your presence is what? Oh, fullness of joy. Do you know something of that? Listen to these words. They laid hold of it. They tasted the goodness of God. At your right hand are eternal pleasures not just the pleasures that are temporal but man i know i've laid hold of that presence they're eternal pleasures there's pleasures that are going to far surpass anything this world has to offer 
Do you know something of that kind of presence? That's what God wants. He wants to give you that. But we have to be in, in his presence. Man, how about Psalm 84? Lord, I, I'd rather be a doorkeeper. Lord, I, I, in your temple, right? Then, 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 then what? Then the then tents of the wicked. Better is one day in your house than what? A thousand elsewhere. That's not some individualized me and God in my little quiet time. He's talking about being with the family of God in worship. Do we know something in America of that? We do not know something of the glorious presence of God because we're so individualized on the run towards Tarshish in America today. How about James 4 verse 8? He promises, draw near me, I'll draw near you. In verse 10, he says, humble yourself before me and I will what? I will what? I will exalt you. Wait, that's a promise. Do you realize that if we humble ourselves and we spend our heart gets shifted, that Jonah's helping us in this gospel shift for the presence of God, do you realize that he promises to exalt you? You know what that means? It means lift you up. It means bring you fully alive to honor you. The Almighty will honor you as part, an intimate, critical part of his grand purpose in this world. There's nothing more fulfilling than that. Presence, folks. So, many more we could say this morning. Take these things. Let the Lord speak this week. Um, and just here, just with a little time left, like we've been doing in this series, let's just open it up. And um, two things this morning. If you have any questions, just if we can bat some stuff around, I need this plenty to talk about, obviously. But the other one is, um, the first service, we had some great testimonies. If you have a testimony, a short testimony, about God's goodness in our running, and what God has done in, in your life that would encourage us all. Um, man, let's hear a couple of these before we uh, close in worship this morning. So questions or testimony? Anybody got anything this morning for us? I'll share a quick analogy. So I, I was um, a track runner, and you know what they say, the older you get, the better you were. Yes, yes, but absolutely. what I really hated on a track meet day was a windy track meet day. And running into the wind is the hardest way to run a race. So I feel like um, running from God is a lot like running into the wind. Yeah. And, you know, with the wind at your back yeah. is the best track day. But the problem is, is that a track is a circle. Yeah. So yeah. the wind was never always at your back. All right. <laughs> so, Absolutely. You want that wind at your back. Questions? Testimonies? Just something to encourage us this morning. Anybody have anything? Man, it's okay. You know. It's good. You were so clear. Yeah, I guess, you know, no questions. Wow. You wrote down you know, so many notes. About the discipline arm of God. And, well, we'll just have to vamp it up, I guess. But no, that's good. That's, that's, that's Esther. Esther feels bad. Nobody's asking, so she's going to ask. No, just kidding. Uh, when we were growing up, uh, the family circle of friends we had at the time had this mindset of, if you're not suffering, you don't love God. If you're not suffering, you're not a true Christian. Yeah. And as I think you alluded to earlier, there's a different mindset that um, 
if you truly loved God, you would be prospering in every single thing and you would never have a bum day, you know. And I guess I've always thought there has got to be middle ground between those two mindsets. Absolutely. Um, and reading the Bible should teach you that. Right. Uh, the story of Joseph is a faithful man who really had a rough time for years right. and years and years and years. Right. Tons of people in the Bible did. Right. But um, I guess my question is, and also a theory I have, and I would ask this theory as yeah. a question, yeah. you probably need to be very close to God yeah. to be able to discern the difference between am I suffering because I'm running like Jonah or am I suffering because of opposition because I'm obeying God, you know, things like that. Yeah. So would you say that's a discerning between you and the Holy Spirit question? Absolutely. I, I think that's a great question. Um, the thing that, that hits me, I think, is so that your question raises is the real critical importance of making sure that my circumstances don't define my heart. Okay? So the people you're talking about this said, hey, if you're not suffering, right, you're not really, they've let their suffering, their circumstance define their heart. That creates in us a poverty mentality, right? And the scripture never has a poverty mentality. The saints of God, those who know it, we, we live no matter. And this is what we see with all those in the saints. They can have the worst day, Jacob, everything going on. But inside their heart, God, you're a good God. God, you're an amazing God. God, there is no lack with you, God. You're the one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Is You're an amazing God. In other words, inside my heart needs to be a poverty of abundance because our God is an abundant God who promises great abundance, abundant life, abundant blessing. And we have a wrong theology, a wrong gospel if my circumstances, whether, so here it is in our country today, right? Those who look at, at abundance, at health, wealth, prosperity, they've allowed the physical blessings of wealth to find their inner heart of the gospel. God is a, look, he wants you to all be rich like this, right? That's a false gospel. But you have another, more on the other theme of a theological line that says, had looked at all the suffering going on in the world and, and they define that like, what? Well, See, if you're not suffering, the only way you can be a true Christian is if you suffer, and they adopt a poverty mentality. That's a false gospel, too. Does that make sense, gang? The middle of this is the glory, and folks, we have to work at it because we're pulled by circumstance, by teachers, by things. One way, they have to hold the gospel centers of this beautiful thing that God has done. He's great, he's glorious, he's abundant, but he also is a God, right? Even in the midst of all this trauma in life, we live in a fallen world, and he uses it for his glory and his purposes in our life. But I have to maintain my heart over a God who is good. And just like we talked about last, or a couple weeks ago, remember what Shadrach, Meshach, and Bindu, Lord, hey, you might throw us in the fire king but our god he will save us and we will not bow before you and even if he doesn't we're still going to worship you god right in other words that's that's a part of our heart of abundance make sure you don't fall into and how you were raised defines so much that our our environment of what we were raised in really just really stamps that it's going to show us which one we're going to lean into more in many ways right and so we have to watch that. This is where we encourage each other. Make sure that gospel is alive and well, a healthy gospel. And Jonah is helping us, right? See the power of the gospel to make sure we're not falling to some health, wealth, wrong understanding of God's blessing, right? Which is a quid pro quo type of, if I do this, God, you'll do that. That's not the gospel. But God's bigger than that. And he wants more in us than that. Or a poverty mentality that, hey, I need to suffer more. Or I deserve this. Oh, God, you know, just always in that place. That is, he, that is, those, neither one of those define a follower of Jesus. And they surely don't give off the light and salt in the earth, right, like we're supposed to. Does that make sense, gang? 
hope that, so thanks for that, Esther. It's really important. And we'll, again, Jonah helps us, right, chart that, that territory. So. Thank you for listening to this message. To hear other messages or learn more about Crossroads Church, visit our website at ccaspen.com.